listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, it's your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Tuesday, the 21st of December 2021. Later, loyalty programs. Do you read the fine print and do you know what happens with your personal information? We'll speak to the team at Choice to find out more. But first, to the Reserve Bank, which released details of its board meeting uh, from earlier in the month where it left official interest rates at 0.1% of record low. And it revealed that while it said Omicron is a new source of uncertainty, it doesn't expect it to derail the economy. So what does it mean for economic stimulus and interest rates? For that, I spoke earlier with Angela Jackson from Equity Economics. Angela, what did you take out of the minutes today? Uh, so I think the first thing to remember, of course, is these are from two weeks ago, uh, and we've had a lot of change in those those two weeks. We had obviously employment data last week where over 350,000 jobs were created, a lot stronger, which really, I think, put the markets and everyone on the expectation that interest rates would rise a lot faster than the RBA had been saying. At the same time, we've seen Omicron obviously raise its head and, you know, significantly internationally and in Australia, and there's great uncertainty around what that's going to mean. So I think what we saw today was really the RBA hedging its bets. Uh, there's still a lot of uncertainty in terms of the pandemic itself and what that's going to mean for the recovery. But, you know, certainly what it's flagging is they are really looking carefully, particularly at quantitative easing and possibly ending that a bit sooner. What that will mean for interest rates, however, we're going to have to wait and see until next year to see whether that wages growth does flow through as the RBA wants to see before it looks to increase rates. What's interesting, though, over the past few um, uh, pieces of information we got from the RBAs is that they do have seemed to have dropped that time stamp as to when the conditions for a rate rise would be uh, would, would be seen. For example, you know, it said initially 2024. We don't see that anymore. Yeah. What does that mean to you? Uh, look, I think what that means is the RBA is accepting that probably 2024 is too far out. We're obviously seeing also inflation coming back a lot stronger, both in Australia but internationally even more so. And so we're seeing the stats of central banks around the world really change from where they have seen that inflation isn't a problem to one where actually we might have to move to contain this. And I think the RBA is getting itself ready for that move as well. There's a lot of uncertainty around what it's going to mean for the Australian markets, but they're readying themselves. I think for that move and the potential really I think is there for a rate rise certainly towards the end of 2022 if we see the strength of this recovery continuing. And with all this talk about potential rate rises earlier than expected for the average person out there that thinks how is this going yeah. to impact me do I need to be worried about it right now what do you say to them? Look, it's certainly we've been in this really low interest rate environment and we've all gotten used to it. Um, but the likelihood is that interest rates are going to go back up again. And so I think it is important for households to really think about what that means in terms of the level of debt that they're carrying and taking on. Uh, there is no way, basically, that going forward, interest rates are going to stay this low. They are going to go up again and households are going to be able to have to put that into their household budgets again. That does create uncertainty, though. And I think the, the real fear there, I guess, is that households will really constrain the spending. And we're already seeing saving rates at record levels. And what the Reserve Bank really wants to see is those savings spent. So anything that puts uncertainty into that is also a threat, I think, to the recovery and the strength of that recovery. 
Angela Jackson there. She's the lead economist at Equity Economics now to the Australian share market, which rose today by 0.9%, the 200 at 7,355, led by stocks in the healthcare sector. For more, I spoke earlier with Kyle Rodder from IG Markets. Well, a little bit of a turnaround Tuesday, it would seem. Uh, we saw a bit of a broad-based move in Asian equities and, and a bounce in US futures after what was a pretty rough start to global markets on Monday. Um, there was a little bit of a boost received to the market from the RBA minutes. So we saw a really big turnaround at around 11.30, and I think that was because the RBA st- still seems fairly reticent to talk about rate hikes, which was quite welcome uh, for the stock market. Um, but overall, it's a little bit of a bounce. We're in holiday trading conditions, so there's that sort of choppiness that's, that applies. Uh, but for the time being, it seems to be a sort of broad-based move in sentiment uh, for, for global equities, and the ASX 200 just participated in that. The the headlines at the moment, it's all about COVID and Omicron, right? Two questions. How concerned are investors about COVID right now and the emergence of Omicron? And secondly, there must be some companies out there that are benefiting. We've seen shares of Australian clinical labs uh, surge today. Yeah, well, it would seem that the, the, the shares for Australian clinical labs are basically the, the COVID or Omicron hedge for Australian investors. So as things get a little bit nervous for, for the market, um, buy that and that'll protect your portfolio a little bit. But in terms of the broader market implication, if we're looking at what's happening across the globe right now with Omicron, you know, the question really is, is okay, the virus is far more infectious, um, but is it m- milder? And if it is milder, uh, is it so mild that it won't lead to a surge in hospitalizations across the globe? And that's kind of the 64 thousand dollar question as it relates to market participants and it's that situation now that we kind of move headline to headline depending on what news and data uh, and research piece probably not peer-reviewed at the moment that we receive um, as to whether the markets feel positive about the outlook or negative about the outlook i think the secrets will really be revealed in the next two or three weeks because of course we've got the key holiday season especially in europe and in the united states coming up Um, if we see a surge in cases along with the surge in hospitalizations uh, and perhaps even deaths going down the line after this kind of busy holiday period, that will be kind of confirmation uh, as to whether, you know, this strain is is more severe or not. So we're really waiting for that kind of data to come through, that real world data. Um, And until we get that, the markets are going to be quite wary about what Omicron means and what it means for the growth outlook. So in other words, a bit of a holding period, do you think, for some time? I think so. A period of potentially heightened volatility and choppy price action as we work it out. You know, you throw that against the backdrop too, is that markets are trying to work out the inflation outlook as well as, you know, the potential that the global economy is going into something of a slower expansion at a time where, you know, central bankers are potentially looking to to raise interest rates. So there is that kind of vacuum there in the markets right now. And and Omicron as well as that policy question is what's, you know, really driving again, what what is this kind of heightened volatility and and choppy price action that we're seeing um, across asset markets? And just finally, looking into the new year, right, given everything we're seeing with, you know, we're talking about interest rates uh, potentially rising, the, the pulling of um, the quantitative easing, inflation rising, uh, Omicron, who knows what any other development with COVID, how are you going to play it and, and what do you see as the opportunities for 2022? Well, I think the opportunities locally really does, and I look at this from a sort of a macro broad market point of view, is, you know, if we're going to see Australian equities catch up with international equities, it's really going to be about the China story um, and what happens with our miners. If you look at really the last 12 months, we had a really strong start to the year, um, but the ASX 200 fell behind its global peers when we saw iron ore prices plunge. That was very much off the back of the slowdown in China and some of the concerns about the property market. We're starting to see some green shoots as it applies to China's economy, especially as it relates to the policy stimulus that's 
going to be pumped in uh, to the Chinese economy from the monetary and fiscal side. Um, but we still haven't got clear indications what that will mean for our market. So I think if we're going to see a bit of a catch up for, for Australian equities, it's going to be from those miners um, and the potential boost to commodity prices that come from a rebounding Chinese economy. More broadly, from a global uh, financial market point of view, again, like you said, it's inflation and how persistent it is um, and how central banks respond to that. And there is this growing concern that maybe with valuations high, uh, as, as high as they are, we've kind of hit somewhere of a, of a near-term peak in the stock market. And even if returns uh, are still positive next year, they'll only be slightly positive because we will be in an environment of easing monetary policy, uh, slowing global growth. Um, and again, with prices already very, very high by historical standards. So I think that's what we're looking um, at as, as it applies for the start of 22, 2022. Obviously, it's a long year, so there'll be all sorts of surprises thrown at us. Uh, but from the sort of, you know, um, known unknowns, if you will, those are the things that we're looking at both locally and uh, abroad um, that should, you know, really take us into the new year. Kyle Rodder there from IG Markets. Okay, from the markets, let's go to loyalty programs like from the airlines and supermarkets. They're obviously popular because Choice says nine out of 10 people are signed up to one, but a quarter have never read the privacy policy. So what do you need to know and what happens to your information? Sarah Conti spoke earlier with Kate Bauer from Choice. So we spoke to over a 1,000 Australians uh, and found out that nine in 10 Australians are signed up to a customer loyalty scheme, but fewer than one in 10 always read the privacy policy. And in fact, only a quarter have uh, ever read the privacy policy. So where can our information be shared when we sign up to a loyalty program? So the fact that um, people are not reading the privacy policy turns out to be a big problem because our information is shared far beyond uh, consumers' expectations. Uh, certainly we expect that when we share information with a loyalty scheme that they'll collect some personal information in order to provide us with special deals and to give us the rewards uh, that the scheme's named after. But we found that actually they share information well beyond that, including sharing it sometimes to partner businesses that might include supermarket schemes sharing information with insurance businesses uh, and it also might include sharing information with large data broking companies which then on sell your information and insights gained from your information and that's what we're particularly concerned can lead to harmful practices for consumers. So how can these companies that take this information from data brokers like in what ways can they use it? So we're particularly concerned about two practices. One is personalised pricing, which kind of sounds like it could be a good thing, like maybe I'll get a cheaper price than someone else. Um, but we've seen that this can be quite discriminatory and we've seen some services charge different prices based on people's age, based on people's location, whether they live in the city or the country. Um, and people are none the wiser. And that's one of the main concerns is the transparency around it. The other thing we're concerned about is something called automated decision making. And people might know of it as algorithms and artificial intelligence, but this can be used to make decisions about you, um, particularly your credit worthiness, your suitability for financial products. Uh, and we're concerned that people may be excluded or restricted from products or services, and they won't know that it's actually a result of data that they've shared in a loyalty program at a different point in time. So what would you recommend that consumers do? 
Well, we know that privacy policies are lengthy and difficult to read. They're full of jargon. So we don't expect that consumers will be kept up to date with what's in those privacy policies. Instead, we want to put responsibility back on retailers and say you need to really act more responsibly and restore the trust. Uh, Customers are giving you their loyalty. They deserve some of that loyalty back in return. We'd like to see them limit the information that they collect uh, to just be what's required to deliver the product or service, in this case, reward schemes, uh, and stop sharing information beyond that, especially to data brokers and to other parts of their businesses. Until then, should we just steer clear? What do you think? Well, I mean, it's up to individuals. I know we all like to get that $10 off or that special deal. uh, But certainly, if you're thinking about signing up to a loyalty program over the Christmas break, you're certainly going to get asked, would you like to sign up? If you're not already a member, would you like to tap your card? Um, And it would be a good idea to pause and say, no, thank you. I'd like to read the privacy policy and find out where my information is actually going. And don't feel pressured to sign up at the point of sale. Uh, You can always sign up later on. But really, we'd like to see stronger protections. Uh, We'd like to see better behaviour from retail but stronger protections from the government as well uh, to ensure that retailers can't use misuse your information uh, and sell it beyond customer beyond consumer expectations. Kate Bauer there from Choice. Uh, don't forget the SBS on the Money podcast. We'll uh, take a bit of a break and we've got two more episodes left. We'll finish up on Thursday and we'll be back at the very beginning of February. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision. (laughs) 